In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, I give a little advice to people who are starting something new. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. Join me as we discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. I just finished putting in some of the last grades for this semester, and I have to admit, I'm more than a little worn out. This has been a hard year for me and most others at my university, and I'm glad the last grades are entered. Commencement is a week away, but between now and then, I'm just looking for some places to breathe. When you work with people between the ages of 18 and 22 for as long as I have, you begin to recognize some problems of education. No, I'm not talking about the structural parts of education. I'm talking about the things we actually tell the kids. Yes, we've been teaching our subjects as well as we can, but there are simply some lessons we don't teach at a classroom, but they really need to know if they want to leave lives that are significant. I can't teach all of these lessons, but there are some things I wish I could tell them outside of a classroom because some of the most important lessons don't happen there. In a class, we've asked students to write papers, which are 10 to 15 pages. However, I can't think of any job where they need something that long. (laughs) More likely, their first employers will ask them to take the four pages that they wrote and reduce it down to one, maybe with just the highlights. And could you bullet point that for me, please? (laughs) Likewise, as a professor, I'm often a soft touch when it comes to extending deadlines. But past the classroom, some deadlines are simply non-negotiable, no matter how bad the traffic was, nor how sick your relatives were. College is not the real world, and as a professor... I try to remind them that as often as I can. But as a professor, there are bits of advice I want to give them that has nothing to do with raising a grade or passing the next test. What I really want to tell them isn't written in textbooks, but often mean more than a GPA or a major. This is part of what I wish I could tell them from a 53-year-old point of view. First, the most important choice you make will be who you choose to love. When I was growing up, I sat in many Bible classes where the choice of a mate was underscored and practically written in neon lights, and I don't disagree. Who you choose to make a lifelong commitment to is a big deal, and you can't overestimate that. But this little nugget has two parts to it. Who you choose and how you love. Your spouse will be a huge choice if you choose to get married. I was 37 when I got married, and I think at that point, everyone had resigned themselves to my perpetual bachelorhood status. So let me say this. You don't have to be married to choose to love. I'm thinking of a dozen names right now of people who are not married, who love fiercely. The people you choose to invest yourself in will necessarily change you. They will change your mind, your location, your goals, and frames of reference. The disciples who decided to follow Jesus didn't understand very much about the man they chose to love. But he changed their thinking. He changed their habits. He changed their professions. He literally took them on roads they never thought they would travel. Who they chose to love changed their lives. But in my mind, how they chose to love is even more important. Once you choose 
who you will invest yourself in, what will that love look like? First, if you have chosen to commit yourself to others, then commit yourself to others. The passage we think about is, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, and it's a great list. Be kind, patient, supportive, humble, appropriate, unselfish, constructively critical, not holding grudges, joyful, helpful, hopeful, and where you're needed when you're needed. How you love is the only thing people remember after you're gone. Second, stop chasing dreams and passions. I know that goes against every Disney movie you've ever seen, but hear me out. There's nothing wrong with wanting a nice home or car or to visit exotic and amazing places. But I suspect you already know something about these kinds of pursuits. When you asked for the radio-controlled car or the American Girl doll and then got it for Christmas, did that keep you satisfied? <laughs> of course it didn't. Next Christmas came, and the toys you loved last year are not only forgotten, but likely thrown out or given away. This doesn't change as you get older or because the toys become more expensive. It simply becomes a nicer house or a nicer car or a more expensive vacation. This is a powerful temptation. I'm sitting here recording these words and looking at a computer I'd like to upgrade with more storage, a faster chip, and more memory. But I know very well I have a techno lust not matched by many. I also know that the next computer I get won't be the last computer I get either. I do believe in investing in quality and being current on both software and hardware, but I know. Part of this is my own passion for technology. And it's nice to be balanced by someone who can help give you some perspective on things like this because dreams and passions are dangerous things. If you look at the roots, part of this is greed. Part of this is pride. And part of this it's just selfishness. And none of those are things you really want to flirt with. Of course, what I'm talking about right now is just materialism. And that's easy to show what problems are there. Paul would tell Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's materialism in a nutshell. In the end, the pursuit of stuff isn't worth very much especially for people who get all the stuff. My last living grandparent lived the majority of her life in a house I would consider too small at 1,100 square feet. But I don't even think about it being small, really. It's where my grandparents lived. And that's somewhere I loved being because I loved my grandparents. However, both my grandparents knew the value of saving and the value of investing in relationships. I was one of the eulogizers at both my grandparents' funerals. And I remember telling a room full of people who were there to memorialize my grandfather that he was never rich, 
never famous, and never unloved. You will have nice stuff, and it won't fulfill you. That said, instead of dreams and passions, consider what's significant and where you have unfair advantages. Significance asks you to identify something really important. It's not a passion, but a mission. Choose something where you can do great good for others. Look, the apostles fought who would be the most important in God's kingdom, but they ended up making other people important. They sacrificed their lives to teach and tell others not about themselves, but about Christ. Further, the apostles had an unfair advantage. They knew Jesus. Because they had that unfair advantage, it meant they could do things other people simply couldn't. Look, you have several unfair advantages. It may be a skill or a relationship or a family business. You can call those blessings or strengths or whatever you see them as. Those unfair advantages mean you don't have to work as hard as others might have to. Don't run away from that. God gives all of us skills, abilities, positions we can use to help others. And let's be clear. Despite our desire to help God, (laughs) he doesn't need our help. Our calling is to help others and be a blessing to them. That's the only way any of us can truly help God. When you drop passions and dreams and instead embrace responsibility and a mission, you're really better off. Third, keep getting better. One of the most important responsibilities you have is to keep improving who you are and what you do. Learn more stuff. Meet more people. Do more edifying things. Stop keeping track of everybody else and start watching your own steps. It's awfully inspiring to watch others lose weight, develop more skills, be more influential, and generally improve. But please, don't just observe that. Use their examples to do that yourself. Your job as a Christian, as a graduate, as someone who loves other people, is to keep getting better and making those around you better as well. Stop doing the stuff that steals your time and leaves you empty. Start doing the small, simple things which invest something in others. Start giving compliments. Start saying thank you. Start building others up. Start teaching others what you do well. Start learning, doing, improving, edifying, educating, influencing, and getting off the couch. And if you have a problem figuring out where to start, then do this. Pick up your phone 
and leave an inspiring message on social media. Thank a friend in a text message. Send a few bucks to a charity you like. Read your Bible. Pray. Write down 20 good things. Figure out how you'd like to improve yourself, those around you, in the next five years, the next five months, the next five weeks, the next five days, the next five minutes. There is too much good stuff to do, too many great opportunities to do them, and too many good ways to do it. So stop stalling and just get started. Those are just a few things I'd love to tell my students and really anybody else who's starting something new. Choose who and how you will love others. Drop your passions and dreams and embrace mission and responsibility. And finally, keep improving yourself and those around you. In a week, Lord willing, I'll be watching a bunch of kids walk across the stage to accept a diploma, which is the ending of one stage of life and the beginning of another. I'm rooting for you. And God is too. I hope you do important things. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, with the end of the school year, I'm putting together the conference schedule. And I'm just simply excited. Hope to have the scheduling done in the next couple of days. I'll remind you, it's July 27th through 29th, and I think this will be truly excellent. So until next time, let's be good and do good.